Right. Yes, guys, what's good? You're tuned into Mango Masala, Pi Radio South Asian show. My name's Gerns. I'm here with the tardy as ever, Halima. No, it actually wasn't even my fault today, guys. Right. I sat in 35 minutes of traffic. You know, on the show, we talk a lot about taking accountability. <laughs> Ugh, I've just had a very meltdown morning. Ugh, I'm not happy. For context, it is now 18 minutes to three. We're meant to start at two. Sorry, guys. It's actually uh, no. I, it actually isn't my fault because I did leave at two. It should. It's usually a twelve-minute yeah, yeah, journey. Yeah, yeah, but you. Le- that's the whole point. You left at two. We are meant to start. No, at but two. we don't usually start to like twenty past. So I left at two for a twelve-minute journey that ended up being thirty-five minutes. Halima, you know why we probably started starting at twenty past is to adapt to your timing and it sh- that shouldn't it should be the other way around right next week i'm leaving at half one yeah that's what you should do every week that's what you uh, should do guys i didn't sleep because uh. i was having like my ADHD is really bad so my brain just wouldn't stop i didn't sleep till like 6 a.m and i was having really bad allergic reactions mm. as you do as i do anyway enough time. about the halima pity party we also got simran on stream how are you doing Hello. I'm alright, how are you? I'm good. Now that we started, we're gonna have a whole show talking, which is fine. You look very fresh. You look very fresh, Simran. Me? Yeah, like very fresh faced. I did sleep thirteen hours last night. Oh what? I slept like half Sorry. of that. Less than half of that. Sorry, but I haven't slept properly in so long, so 13 I think. Thirteen hours. It. Tell us about that. Yeah. That's my dream. Well, I slept at like midnight and then I woke up at eight for a spin class and I was like, that's not happening. And then I went back to sleep and woke up at one. And I was like, but it's the first time probably since I started my job that I've gone to sleep without an alarm. Like when I woke up, when I went back to sleep after I sacked off the gym, that's probably the first time I've gone to sleep and not set an alarm. It was nice. Oh, I'm jealous. Sorry. We have also got Martin on stream, who every single time he comes on decides to adapt a new um, what's Background. It called? filter. Very nice. Today we're in space. Come on, Elon Musk. <laughs> oh, don't do that. <laughs> the worst comparison uh, you can make. How are you doing, Martin? Um, until the Elon Musk reference. <laughs> I'm doing, but, so just switch that up now he swiftly changed it for those that can't see how are you carlos i'm all right you know what? i'm just running around i got here in perfect time prepared to be running around setting everything up this is then... such a hostile start carlos mm. this is it's carlos okay. every yeah. single week here now right carlos is just getting his notes up I'm getting my notes up so we've got a really bad vibes island episode today guys it's oh no. it's not looking good. This is just a terrible episode all round. Everyone's just having a rubbish time. Well, apart from Simran, who slept for 13 hours. Shall we cue the track? Go on. Bad vibes oh my God. Yeah, Simran and Martin won't have heard that, so they will have just heard my... Oh, we just played, oh, we just played the Bad Vibes Island jingle because uh, you're not in the studio. Yeah, I was, all I heard was him singing it. Yeah. No, we played the, the jingle. Yeah, same. Right, well, you're welcome. Anyway, the thing is, we always play this and then it's immediately followed by... Um, a really depressing, really, yeah, really depressing. depressing news. Well, we yeah. had to make life a little bit better for ourselves making that jingle. 
Otherwise, we'd just be depressed. Not sure how much yeah. it's helped, to be fair, given what we're about yeah. to talk about. Which bad vibe story are we starting with today? We're starting with misogyny, lucky us, because oh. I feel like there's multiple elements of that that have been in the press the news um over the past week literally within 24 hours of each other so to give a bit of context to the people at home gonna go through this chronologically right so earlier this week on tuesday um the famous lawrence fox appeared on dan wotton's gb news show um where he asked about um a politics joe reporter um i believe her name is ava evans um he asked what self-respecting man would climb into bed with her and um, this was in response to a bbc debate that evans participated in which was debating the need for a minister for men due to poor male mental health evans as part of the debate argued that a minister for mental health in general would be better as this currently doesn't exist and it's more all-encompassing since then um since Fox made these comments on Wharton's show. They've both been suspended. There's an Ofcom investigation ongoing. Um, yeah, which is, I have to say, I was somewhat pleasantly surprised. Like, I swear every other day we're seeing, like, people going on channels like GB News and Talk TV and just getting away with saying whatever they want. It's kind of like, <clears throat> do you know what's so funny? Like, I'm obviously all for Lauren Fox being censored. Free speech and all, and them and there, but really that man needs to be censored, in my opinion. Yeah, um, literally, we do have to be really careful because also to put this out there, Lawrence Fox is currently suing a Twitter user for calling him a racist. Yes, I saw that. Literally, I because saw that. Lawrence Fox um, replied to a tweet that Sadiq Khan did, literally in. Um, blackface and the person replied calling him a racist p-word and lawrence fox he was like isn't that- it's libel yeah and now he's <laughs> literally following through the court case because obviously he's got money so um this is all our, in our, our opinion, opinion in our opinion we do not encourage you to think the same way as us about lawrence fox we encourage you to come to your own opinion that yeah. being said, that being said, yeah, out of all the things that he said, that like what he, that comment that he made, or what self-respecting man would get into bed with you, in my opinion, out of all the things that he said, in the grand scheme of things, it's not even the worst thing he said. Mm. It's not even nearly the worst thing he said. It's probably not even top t- contending for top ten. So it's just so like, I think it's really an interesting comment on like the rules and regulations in this country. It's like, it feels so arbitrary. It's like, I think the majority of people would argue that he has said so much worse things. But how come it was that thing that, that was the yeah. one that was like, okay, now he's under investigation. Well, I have seen some people also pointing out, particularly in the case of Dan Wotton, who goes on a trade against Meghan Markle at every opportunity that he gets. <laughs> the fact that he's been doing that for time, and yet it's only now when this has happened to Ava Evans, who happens to be a white woman. White woman, that's that exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. It's actually not true to say that it's completely arbitrary. It's not like, it's really who the victim 
is mm-hmm. right because obviously these are people who in our opinion um spread racist rhetoric um lawrence fox particularly in our opinion um has spread a lot of like intolerance and and bigotry and stuff like that so it's mm. kind of like it's it's um a very interesting comment on what victimhood looks like and who's allowed to be a victim and who's who's not and who's even able to be perceived as a victim yeah any thoughts on this initial misogynistic happening martin and simran actually it's weird because this is another one of those moments where i live under a rock and i didn't really know what was going on but i did see something about this um through a tweet that someone posted on their story and now i've kind of gotten better context on it Mm. now i kind of understand why that was put in the context of that tweet but it's just another example of how people are so quick to bring up like the sexuality of women as a way to kind of undermine them and kind of make their points invalid. And I just don't understand how that was even a relevant comparison. And I, also another thing is I feel like you can have as many conversations as you want about mental health. And there's always someone that's going to be like, but what about men's mental health and men's suicide rates? And it's like, here was something trying to be done. I know her point was to make like an overall mental health minister, but like, so they were having the debate on having a minister specifically just for men's mental health and it's like people still can't be happy with that and we're still taking away from the topic and we're still making it about something misogynistic at the end of the day yeah like you'd think if they had a problem with what she was saying surely you would kind of make your um your what's it called quarry what's the word Quam. Quam. Mm-hmm. that's a english graduate <laughs> you'd make it with what they were discussing about the whole men's minister for men thing rather than um, just who she's going to bed with (laughs) looking back to the initial discussion which was on politics live Mm. between ava evans and i think greg norcott i actually sort of didn't agree with her point so there was an implication that there'd be a minister for men which as a head on or on the face of it would make you think it's probably kind of meninist red pill kind of agenda Mm. so i looked a bit into the guy who um you know suggested it and all of his rationale seemed to make sense he talked about um you know the problems men have with mental health but also the difficulties some men find you know with finding their place in the world and in light of a sort of changing the labor market and those sorts of things and i do think that unfortunately because we have so few good faith discussions about things like men's mental health and it's usually only wielded as a repost to women's problems or used to undermine people who want to talk about feminist issues there's an aversion to take any steps towards um improving the lives of men seriously Mm. so i do think you know the idea of a man's mental health minister in of itself isn't ridiculous it's just that i can see why you would naturally not believe that it's being made, you, you know, sort of as a good faith suggestion. Yeah. No, so I moving think... on from... Oh, go on. So, sorry, so just moving on from that initial point, to rather than kind of unpack arguments or explain why you don't, you know, maybe agree with them, as I would have done if I was in that situation, and as the comedian on Politics Live did quite eloquently and reasonably, they had, you know, a pretty amicable back and forth, to talk about, you know who would sleep with her based on what she said is just it's just bizarre yeah the, the offensive nature of it aside watching the clip i was just kind of confused not mm-hmm. used to the idea that any woman would judge her value on if lawrence fox wanted to sleep with them that confused me yeah. a lot <laughs> um 
yeah, so those, those <coughs> are my big takeaways from that whole debacle. Yeah, it's exactly what we just said, isn't it? Like, it's yeah. not, it's absolutely, I completely agree with what you said. Like, there really is a discussion to be had about what we can do for men's mental health because it is an endemic. Like, I think suicide is the leading cause of men between, like, what is it, 18 and... Uh, 35 or something like that 45 45 okay yeah so like it is obviously there is something that really desperately needs to be addressed there um have that discussion why are you talking about who the girl's in bed with yeah and and i also i also feel like sorry to cut you but having a minister for men he didn't specify you know a minister for men's mental health that's one component of something of a crisis of masculinity i've done kind of a lot of work um, researching the manosphere in cell mm. culture and mm. kind of on, on misogyny and I think you know some kind of intervention educationally for how young men interact with women would also be super beneficial yeah. so when I hear you know the idea of a minister for men what my mind goes to is thinking maybe educational interventions to combat some of the content that young men are consuming online which mm. leads to you know, some of the issues that I guess we'll be talking about later. I just think that because, you know, when you say men's mental health, it's only ever spoken about as a repost to women's issues. It's something that just makes more left-leaning people shut off immediately from hearing what's actually being said. Yeah, no, Mm. I agree. Yeah, I mean, obviously going off what you've just said, it does lead, not nicely, but it does go into what we're going to talk about, which I think is um, not to take away from what happened on Tuesday evening, but this next thing is especially sad. And it really, um, I feel like a lot of people have um, been upset by what's happened here. Mm. So obviously, before we discuss this, this is going to discuss some quite upsetting stuff. Um, So literally the following morning, so Wednesday morning... Um, sorry, Martin. I think you can hear your fan again. Do you mind eating? Thank you. Um, literally the following morning on Wednesday, um, fifteen-year-old Eliane Andam was fatally stabbed in Croydon on her way to school. Now I'm going to say allegedly because this is all. Um, it's ongoing. Yeah, it's an ongoing investigation, but allegedly the stabbing is said to have been carried out by the ex-partner of Elion's friend who tried to give her flowers as they got off of a bus. She rejected these and it's understood that Elion um, tried to intervene. He then reportedly pulled out a knife and stabbed her in the neck and chest. Um, a 17-year-old boy has since been arrested. Now, again, because this is an ongoing case, we're not necessarily arguing that there's a direct direct link between any content that people are viewing online from specific people and the killing. However, I would say in our opinion, it does, like this is evident of an environment of extreme misogyny and toxic masculinity that has fested with many young boys who also happen to be consuming a lot more of this type of content we've seen over the past couple of years namely and i don't want any to attract any um, god the last yeah. the last time we mentioned this man our mention our mentions was in tatters yeah. goodness gracious but comment in- section in the trenches the infamous andrew tate um which uh, obviously, he's um, currently un- under investigation for, I believe, is it um, sex trafficking, mm-hmm. I believe, um, in Romania. And I looked into this and I was also 
quite confused because I likewise found people defending Andrew Tate and they were spreading a clip of him where he was on uh, talk TV with Piers Morgan and was talking about how um, we should be creating coalitions with Middle Eastern countries so that we can create a prison there and send anyone who's found with a knife there and then broadcast them um, living in less than ideal situations to put off people carrying knives and then in another clip I literally found one where he's advocating for that every man should carry a sword so I think this kind of just speaks into how a lot of the stuff that Andrew Tate is putting <coughs> out is in our opinion nonsense and <sighs> these young impressionable minds are really kind of taking it on and twisting it we're not they're not even twisting it they're taking it on and just believing it literally and obviously uh, stuff like this is happening I'm, I'm i'm so sorry why the middle east just on the prison thing because so, they're barbaric and backwards yeah, and they're just so, so uncivilized I and think, obviously things like that could run over I think there in the co- in the context of the conversation that he was having with piers morgan i think it maybe might have been around the time of the world cup because they were talking about qatar um and they were saying about um andrew tate was arguing oh why should we like be um, boycotting it, we sh- we shouldn't be like do- pushing anything on these countries. We should be creating um, relationships with them, and then obviously then went on to say we should create a prison over there and send anyone who's caught with a knife there, and then broadcast it here to make anyone who's carrying a knife think twice about it. That's the argument that he put forward. Ugh, do you know what? I hate the fact that okay. like, yeah, I hate the fact that. What even having this conversation and I hate the fact yeah. that like <clears throat> I was on Twitter like the, the you know the, the day that this news broke um, and I kind of had I was following the news and all the discussions around it and, it and it feels in the first instance like it just feels wrong the fact that like a, what is ultimately a tragedy a little girl like she's a baby you know that's my little sister's yeah. age you know like baby like GCSEs. baby like I don't think you lot understand like actual baby yeah like she's tragically lost her life and it is first and foremost a tragedy and we cannot escape the politicization of it and and that's not a decision that the public are making it is inherently political when a man when a a, a young man has gone and killed her under these circumstances it is inherently political especially given the kind of current climate of red pill masculine and the proliferation of ideologies like red pill masculinity that i think most people have kind of linked to to this event it is inherently political but it's just so sad that there wasn't even a moment of still grief do you know what i mean like there wasn't even a yeah. moment moment of stillness and i hate the fact that we can't not talk about it but it's true we can't not talk about it um mm. and it is it is this whole thing and i know we said that oh this is in our opinion but i think it's pretty obvious to be honest with you and i don't like I, I know I, there have obviously been factions of people, namely people who do follow Andrew Tate and his ideologies, who are saying, oh, it's got nothing to do with him. And that's why I guess they were sharing kind of clips like that. But um, I don't think I think if you really if you're intelligent or have any kind of intelligence, really, you could see this current kind of, um, you know, culture of, um, you know, this this manosphere, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not it's not very difficult to draw those connections. Yeah. I think it is very obvious as well that this has come from that. The fact that this isn't someone who has um, tried, that to our knowledge, tried to get this person back for whatever reason, 
failed and then thought okay i'm upset i'm going to it's go a very specific this. context yeah, it's literally they <clears throat> went with the intention of getting back with them whatever no apparently they, so yeah. th- that man that sorry that little boy he packed a a, a bouquet of flowers mm. a love letter and a knife yeah like a, a, and a sword right and it's like that it's 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 one and the same to them mm. afterwards i was obviously like there's this whole conversation about the manosphere and what it's doing to young men and boys there's also a conversation about like and this is what i was thinking a lot about kind of the the nature of men's love you know like very conditional it's conditional but also like love and 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 like and pain for you know for for men and heterosexual relationships seems to really be um two sides of the same coin like in like if you think about it kind of ideologically giving someone a love letter and flowers and then murdering someone should really be two ends of the opposite spectrum but for that little boy it was the same thing mm-hmm. like in the same bag that he put these flowers he kept a sword and in the same instance in which he went to give her those flowers he was also prepared to kill her yeah like it's so twisted well i mean i think we are obviously drawing that conclusion from yeah. the fact that he did that yeah and, like, he did what he did and obviously it was sadly her friend that ended up <sighs> suffering um also like but i think yeah so i just I say think, thoughts oh, with well, the um thoughts with the um the, the, the intended girl. yeah victim allegedly just, like yeah. i cannot i cannot imagine what that poor girl was going through like the guilt I mean, the the grief, firstly, because that's, like, your friend. Secondly, the guilt that must be in her life, thinking, like, it, yeah. you know, like survivor's guilt. I don't know, it's just yeah. such a messed up situation, man. Sorry, go on, I just, I just think, as well, like, it just speaks to the wider picture of how, what mechanisms were in place before this happened for that young man to feel that validated in his decision to pack that knife that morning. And mm. it, you have to talk about the steps that led up to his mindset in packing that knife that morning, synonymous to packing those flowers at the same time. And you speak about things like Andrew Tate or people that spread this kind of radicalized vision of how men should be and how men should act in our society and the role of men in our society. And you can can kind of make that link. I know we're saying allegedly and stuff, but you can kind of see the steps that might lead up to a young man thinking that way, understanding that if he doesn't get what he wants, then violence is the answer and is very much validated in his decision to be violent. It's backed up by stats, which is like, I think it's like 90 something percent of women have said that they've been sexually harassed. The like instances of domestic violence and sexual violence and rape towards women and how many of the convictions actually go to court or end up in prosecutions and things like that. I think it leads to a culture of safety of men thinking that they're okay to make these certain actions. Impu- it's, it's, it's impunity. Exactly. <clears throat> There's not a long standing history of men being convicted and being like dehumanized and actually um you know hold to account held to account yeah, on yeah. these actions yeah even and if you were that way inclined there's no deterrence exactly there's no exactly. deterrence <clears throat> there's no denying that this is a tragedy but i think it just speaks to the bigger picture of how many women out in in society have made up a random excuse to reject a man like about you mm-hmm. having a, i've said this before in the show how the easiest way to stop a man like making an advance to you is to then say you've got a boyfriend because to make up another man yeah the only way that they respect you as a human being is to then insinuate yourself as the property of another man that's the only valid response to not being interested in this person's advances and that's scary that's terrifying because if you can sim- if you can't simply just say oh, I'm not interested, I don't want to, 
that can end up in literally your death. Yeah. And there's a long-standing history of murders that of women yeah. who have rejected men's advances like that. And a lot and of I men say, like, like, oh, go on. I was going to say, it's like young women out in the world, they don't have the choice. They don't have, like, the privilege of choice anymore. And it's like, you can look at a story like this and you could think it's either flowers or a knife. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Like, yeah. what what choice do I have? I'm going to say yes, or <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, you know, have to bide my time in this situation to avoid getting stabbed on a bus. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's ridiculous, and it's a tragedy nonetheless. Yeah. And, and, and it's nothing new, by the way. Like, men will say, like, oh, just say no. Like, do you know, like, the number of high-profile cases of women that have been murdered by romantic partners because they are potential romantic partners mm -hmm. simply because they have said no? And this is even just high-profile cases. Like, I can't even imagine mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, no the actual number, the true number of cases yeah. that we don't like, we are We are not autonomous in our decision to reject a man's advances we, we don't have that autonomy and the only way that we can actually conceive some kind of autonomy in that decision is to then claim ourselves as the property of another man because that's the only way we deserve the respect to actually grant us the choice yeah. to be able to say no yeah martin i know as part of slow Mag, i remember when all the stuff about andrew tate was initially coming to light i remember you um, did a piece or a post about how this um, particularly young males um, are be being continuously exposed to this type of thing and it is kind of a very um, evil vacuum that's <clears> going on. Um, so what were your thoughts when you obviously first saw this that happened in Croydon? Um, firstly, just horror. Like, mm. I think a lot of people, but then, as sad as it sounds, once the kind of initial panic subsided, a kind of not acceptance but lack of surprise as weird as it sounds yeah. like with switch mug we cover or have covered a lot of stories like this and it's not you know i could reel five off the top of my head of similar things um i don't want to because it kind of like blankets all these individual women's identity and no one likes to be made a statistic of um mm. but it kind of ties into what i was saying about the last story and the idea of a minister for men i feel that you know some kind of educational intervention is essential now and I, I just sort of wonder what has to happen really before we get to that point like whether it's you know sarah everard or this situation now or molly mclaren who was stabbed like 75 times by her ex in a gym car park because yeah. she stood up with him i just yeah it's yeah, you become lost for words of what to say, to be honest. And I just kind of wonder, like, what actually has to happen to make certain people acknowledge that it's a wider systemic problem rather than just, you know, episodes. Because don't get me wrong, me, myself, it's not that I've ever committed violence, but I think me, you, Carlos, all men, if we're, you know, being completely honest, will have had interactions with women that are kind of rooted in, like, patriarchal ideas that we grow up with. And I think at some point there needs to be some kind of, you know, deliberate effort made to combat this on a on a systemic level. Otherwise, we'll just be doing the same radio segment about a slightly different incident in a few weeks that, you know, emanates from the same place. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. Like, I think what you said about having some kind of interaction with women that is rooted in patriarchal thinking is definitely... Um, something that a lot of 
men can probably relate to if they think hard enough about it. Like, I think even, I was just thinking the other day when this happened about how when I was in high school, um, there was a girl that I liked. Um, I pursued her, she said no. Funnily enough, said that there was someone else. So it's interesting how things were like that. Um, and my reaction to that was, okay, how can I better myself? How can I, I literally, went away from that and that summer like lost like a load of weight and like changed my look and everything it wasn't just it was just a let me leave her alone yeah exactly it was like okay so she said no it must yeah no it must be something to do with me so how can i change myself to do that rather than just no Mm. just just that's move it. on Finish, that yeah. should be it and i think i was literally thinking about yeah. how, like, that's something that i really want to impart onto my children is like don't do that if someone says yeah. no just that's you it leave them alone like yeah things. yeah same and i think this is the thing it's it's sort of um i don't know if embarrassing is the word it maybe doesn't feel great to say out loud but just being completely honest a lot of times in the past when i've like dealt with rejection and stuff especially being a lot younger, you can almost see women as, like, uh, objective or prize, if you like. So you think that if you're not getting what you want, that you need to, I don't know, change something about yourself. It's a direct just this, commentary like, on your masculinity. Ex- exactly, yeah. Thank you. That's the perfect way to put it. And I think, like, if we kind of have more of a concerted effort to kind of make men see their own masculinity or, or their own personhood beyond the prism of their ability to retain romantic interest from women there might be less kind of like violent responses when things don't work out as we might like romantically because it wouldn't feel like such an affront to our entire self-construction okay. now don't get me wrong these feelings of embarrassment or rejection or whatever they aren't justifications for you know violence or any of the bad things that we do as a result of that but i think at a point, we just need to be really honest about why these things are happening, even if it doesn't, you know, make everyone feel too great because it, it can't be worse than stories like this. Yeah, I don't think it's yeah. a, I don't think it's a justification. I think it's an insight into actually how formidable uh-huh. the system is. That even the most well-meaning men that you know, and I'll say from personal experience that Martin and, and Carlos are some of the most well-meaning men that I know in my personal life, um, and even even men like that. I, I, kind of internalize patriarchy and patriarchal values in ways that um you could really see the genealogy you know like from from something that this 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 boy did um to kind of everyday instances that even the most well-meaning men that you know and i think what martin is saying is very right i think right now we are suffering from a crisis of masculinity um i think there's a global context to it but i'm going to speak very specifically in the uk or slash western uh, context but there is a crisis of masculinity and historically because of patriarchy men have always ever um actualized their own masculinity in relation um to women you know or through rather through their relations with women um and I think we need to unlearn what we believe masculinity to be um, because society has changed, like the role of men has changed, um, the kind of status of women have changed. And I don't think that we as kind of societies have ideologically, philosophically, whatever, kind of stopped along the way to reorientate what we believe about gender roles and gender identities and gender expressions. And that's why we are in such this, in this crisis of masculinity. And then you kind of look at why 
wider socio-political context and exactly as I was saying the role of men right um and, and and it's not a surprise why men are kind of overcompensating for what they might feel is a loss of regard for traditional masculinity, um, which is why it creates this vacuum for men like, you know, Andrew Tate to come in and, and kind of preach to, to men who maybe feel a little bit lost or a little bit gra- gra- who are already grappling with their idea, their sense of masculinity in the first place. Yeah, for sure. And I think although Andrew Tate is like kind of the most famous figure or like the face of masculinity if you like i feel sometimes that attributing a whole social problem to whether it be one figure or a few episodes of something almost yet some of our social structures off the hook as though were were andrew tate to be incarcerated or taken off the internet or whatever that would solve you know problems there's been yes as great as it would be you know Suddenly, patriarchy have existed for like centuries, yeah. you know, before the dawn of these people. So, as I say, it's it's natural, I suppose, to see something like this and just think, oh, okay, who's the face of, you know, this social issue? If it was not him, it's going to be someone else, you know. This is what I mean. I, I think, like, you know, people, whether it's like me or Carlos or like, other lads we mates with, or people have like younger brothers or nephews or whatever. I think we kind of have more of a role in, you know, trying to remedy some of these issues more so than just getting rid of one person. Because, mm. there's, as I say, I didn't go through school watching Andrew Tate's content, and I've still said and done loads of misogynistic stuff and throughout my life. Mm. Yeah, no, you're right. Like, and I think this is where it needs to be a unified and a concerted mm-hmm. um, like national effort you know it, it, it's, it needs to be a unified and concerted cultural exercise where um, we are having certain conversations on a national level on a, on, a, on a widespread level where we are unpacking ideas of mm-hmm. masculinity what masculinity is and what masculinity doesn't need to be um, to, to kind of help these men feel a little bit more comfortable in their own masculinity to, to not adhere to um, an idea of masculinity that someone else is telling them that seems um, alluring because they're confused or they're lost or they don't understand their own social footing um, but I think that's it, kind of what oh sorry no, I was gonna say, that's kind of what I think like the place for a men's minister wouldn't go amiss in that sense yeah. like to your point Martin you were saying like if it was rooted in education and if it was rooted in let's identify the social structures that let Andrew Tate have a voice as big as he has had in the first place. Mm. Why is there this massive population of vulnerable, impressionable men who do feel lost as their place as a man in society? Let's, if we target those in a positive way from an educational outset, from the beginning, right? Of like, this is, you know, like you said, Martin, like the changing workforce and how roles of genders have kind of changed over the last few decades and things like that. I think if you kind of target it instead of going at it from a misogynistic position, which is where the likes of Andrew Tate and stuff have come from. But as, again, like you said, there are, it's not just him. You can't just say it's just him. It's music, it's culture, it's politics, it's a whole breadth of... It's an entire apparatus. Rooted from, exactly. And that's the society that we live in, unfortunately. But the place of a men's minister, I don't think would be disuseful in our government and in our society because of how prolific it is right now in the state of this endemic, like you said, Halima, that we live in. Um, and if we t- looked at it from a more educational 
point of view and rooted it from an earlier age and actually put in healthier structures and looking at these men who are the most vulnerable to kind of taking on these ideals and then teaching them that no actually this is what masculinity can look like and should look like in order for everybody to benefit and then obviously reducing the mindset of how it's okay to be violent towards women or how it's okay to Mm. act this way towards women like we've seen in Croydon yeah and and you know what like the the things that we we were talking about previously about kind of the need for a mental men's mental health minister as well because of suicide being the leading killer in young men um they're not unrelated you know like uh, yeah, exactly. uh, 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 kind of like incels um is, is mm-hmm. I guess what the what what the kind of internet is calling these people um and and kind of this endemic of male young male suicide they're not completely unrelated and it is as we were talking about this absolute crisis in masculinity and um there's a lot of conversations that have been going on about the rise of male loneliness as well that men men are um increasing becoming increasingly lonely they're becoming increasingly disconnected um from like kind of friends family they're having less friends less social reaction interactions and also um less successful romantic and sexual uh, relationships as well um, and it's leading to male loneliness which um, can lead to male suicide can also lead to um, an uh, kind of invigorated uh, sense of um, entitlement which then leads to violence so as I was saying they're not unrelated and I think you have to get to the core of it and at the core of it is this crisis of masculinity what masculinity is what masculinity mm-hmm. is not what it can be what it does not have to be mm-hmm. um and, and really what the danger is of getting it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I and th- I think what you'd find is if you'd like actually started it from the outset as like an educational program of exactly what you just said, Halima, yeah. you'd find that everyone would benefit from it because men too suffer from the effect. They're, they're one of the, they, they exactly. are a very, they're victims of patriarchy themselves. And, exactly, and- exactly. More than, you know, there's a lot of arguments to say the extent of which, but you know, you look at, the, you look at, how men suffer from the effects of the patriarchy and it's prolific so you would i think you'd find that if a successful program that's actually run everyone will benefit from it yeah, yeah yeah i think as much as we could go on talking about this for an entire episode gonna have to um close the book on that one there but don't worry because we are not going far away we're staying right here in the uk and talking about what suella braverman has been up to this week so again to give context um she's been over in the states this past week um she was giving a speech i think it was a a u.s think tank um i think it was a right wing i think it was um founded or funded by <coughs> margaret thatcher or something mm-hmm, um, of course yeah while she was there um, she gave a speech and she, she argued that facing discrimination for being gay or for being a woman should not be enough in itself to qualify for international refuge protection um this, these original rights to seek refuge came as a result of the un's 1951 refugee convention she questioned is this really fit for our modern age Um, and she argued that laws have morphed from helping those fleeing persecution to those now fearing (coughs) bias yeah she argues um that it it, this the way things currently are it grants the right for at least 780 million people worldwide to move to another country however 
obviously when you look at the figures, the total number of refugees currently is stated as being around 35 million. It's also worth bearing in mind that in 2021, there were only 415 asylum applications to the UK out of 48,540. So basically sexual orientation has only formed 1% or less than 1% of applications for asylum to the UK. Also, 64 countries currently have laws that criminalize homosexuality. I think another people that people another thing that people found quite questionable in this speech was that she said that multiculturalism <laughs> has failed due to it not requiring integration. It's also worth bearing in mind that Suella Braverman is a brown woman whose parents immigrated to the UK. She's a Buddhist and she's married to a Jewish man. Yeah, apparently multiculturalism has failed. How much is she getting paid to say this? Because it's just like, I just can't. I was going to make a comment that one million percent would have got us strucken off live radio forever. Forever. You you could argue that given her background and who she's married to, for her to turn out to be who she is, is sort of evidence multiculturalism has failed, though. Oh, yeah. In a way. Mm -hmm. So given our opinion on her on her principles it's just a sellout because there's no way she can actually like i want to know yeah what she says like from the background that she does well, and like her, she, i'm just saying she's just getting a check for it that's it the thing is her her defense is that my parents and i sign up to british values wholeheartedly yeah but it's like who was it Sandra yeah Sandra really whole really really ho- you didn't need to sign up to them that wholeheartedly suella like <laughs> really but like you did who, not was it sajid was it sajid javid or rishi Sunak that was banging on about my dad was a bus driver when he immigrated here and blah 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 sajid javid, who was it sajid javid i think yeah same thing Hill. same thing yeah nah you listen you lot like that's just bad to unpack here do you know what i mean like Firstly, she's talking about how um, gay people um, shouldn't come here anymore. Like they don't, they should have less of a right to seek asylum in the UK because it's actually biased. How does she know? I, that's what I want to know. How does she know? Where's she getting her information from? Is she a, is she a, a homosexual woman? Is she living in these countries? How is she able to differentiate between what is biased and what is life threatening? Well, I I'd like to come in here. I, I spoke to Carlos before about the fact that whilst I was um, interning with the UN, I put together a research document on the um, persecution of sexual minorities. So, in Nigeria, there are 12 northern states where the penalty for homosexuality is being stoned to death. Yeah. In Cameroon, where most of my family are from, you can be sent to prison for between 5 to 14 years for um, accusation of homosexuality. And also, a lot of countries, even <clears throat> if countries don't have the death penalty for um, homosexuality, if they have any sort of prohibitive laws, what that does to the public psyche and the public's yeah. understanding of something as wrongdoing means that violence can be committed against these groups with impunity. Mm-hmm. So in Cameroon, when you know people are murdered for being gay, there's you know less likelihood that the perpetrators will be prosecuted. Mm-hmm. So. Again, I would argue that being stoned to death or murdered by a lynch mob is more than bias. Yeah. Um, personally. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, 
hundred percent. So yeah, that's that's but it's just sort very of my in- take yeah. On no, comment. I I completely agree, and it's just very interesting. Where is she get? Where is she getting this information from to make that claim? Like, has she has, has she done? What is? Does she have a representative sample? What's her methodology? Has she gone and spoken to to, to certain gay rights groups in in certain countries to know um, the to be able to differentiate between what is fatal and what is just simply um, bias? Yeah, and I mean, how do you know where to draw the line as well? Like, there's. there's it's not like there's a definitive like um difference between bias and persecution do you know what i mean and all they also feed into each other as well but but you know you're saying where well, do you draw the line i'd say the death penalty i'm not saying that's the line the line oh, should be way below that yeah but even if you know she mm. her stance is there needs to be a line between bias and you know, you did some persecution. The issues he's talking about is, you know, people literally facing the death penalty. Yeah. So by her own barometer, she's yeah. wrong. And so but also, what like, she... what's even more difficult... Oh. Sorry, I'm just going to say this really quickly. What's even difficult is that there's state-sanctioned death penalty, but then there's ex- there's extrajudiciary mm. death penalty as well, you know? so And, and, and you can't turn a blind eye to that. You know, as a, it, as a country that allows, or technically should allow asylum to people in need if someone comes and says says to you i'm at risk of ex- an extra du- judiciary death penalty how can you turn them away go on Simra. <clears throat> i had just a question i just wanted to clarify what she's saying is people that belong to those minority groups are no longer valid to obtain refugee status in this country now that's she, what she wants she's saying it's not that deep what they're facing yeah. is not that deep she, that's what she's, she's saying she's, that's crazy. she's, that's crazy. she's that's arguing crazy. that she's not saying this isn't this is coming to effect but she's saying she the thing is as well for this to come into an effect she has to basically convince a lot of other countries that they should follow suit but she is basically arguing that um being gay or being a woman should not be enough in itself because we are in a place now apparently because we've quote-unquote progressed that um a lot of places you simply face bias rather than persecution <clears throat> and therefore it like that shouldn't be an immediate by what metric by what Ex- metric exactly. is she, is what is she measuring progression first of all and That's second of all i'm, sure, saying, I'm yeah. pretty sure like the sorry i'm a bit i'm a bit late to the <laughs> but i'm pretty sure like the definition of like being able to obtain refugees is, is you're just fleeing persecution in your country and you're looking for safety so it's not up to suella braverman to and by the way like the pretext of this entire conversation is that borders are actually valid (laughs) which is not it's not i don't believe that anyway like for me this whole conversation is a little bit nonsensical to me personally because i don't even believe in borders like that like i i my belief is that anyone should just go and be able to live wherever they want to live like who, who who decides i mean like all borders are colonial you know, all borders are inherently violent. And, and these practices of basically evaluating human worth, right, is is a structural continuity of colonialism. You are upholding a, a boundary and a legal and social and judiciary system that comes forth from a colonial practice. Like... I think, I think what I find difficult about a lot of kind of these cultural type argument is the fact that so why government doesn't actually have any intention of, you know, remedying our border practices for this to happen. You know, we've got a general election next year, 
by every possible metric, the Tory party have absolutely, well, I can't swear on the radio, but they haven't done a good job. So, you know, housing, transport, education, schools are like collapsing in on themselves. You can't get trains anywhere. People Mm -hmm. can't pay their bills. Mm -hmm. People are starving. Nurses Mm -hmm. are using food banks. We've got strikes. You can't get a GP appointment. Mm -hmm. So... The only way that the Conservative Party can mobilise a voter base to win the election is by making people afraid of theoretical things that don't happen anyway. Now, to me, the idea of more queer people from coming across the world sounds kind of fun, to be (laughs) honest. But because most of the country would hate that... Creating, you know, an imagined threat around that and saying, and I disagree with that, is the only egg they have to stand on. So for me, I find it frustrating in the regards that, on the one hand, we're now ultimately playing into her hands by discussing something that they have no legislative plans to actually implement. But the flip side of that is that marginalised groups will unfortunately be subject to, you know, public bigotry as a result of these remarks, which is why you kind of have to engage. But, Mm. you know, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that whether it be sort of like trans people or asylum seekers or certain issues, which are legitimate issues for the people experiencing them, are not things that a lot of the politicians who dredge them up actually care about or have Mm. any big reformist agendas for. Yeah. And it's actually interesting. I I completely forgot that we have a general election next year because genuinely I've just completely divested from Westminster. But nevertheless, we do. And it'd be interesting now because this is the thing that happens. You're right. Like when, um, especially when a country is in in crisis, in financial crisis, um, politicians and leaders use that as an opportunity to kind of exploit people's plights to further kind of certain agendas, um, which then uh, reinforces their own political powers. Um, So it'll be very interesting now that a general election is coming up to see uh, kind of... uh, how this culture of intolerance and bigotry is exacerbated um because i mean we saw it so very plainly and clearly during brexit um where it was just again my opinion but you know brexit i don't believe was won on a political basis i think it was won on a a, a basis of like cultural warfare um drip drip xenophobia phobia that had been like fed to the wider public um from through years um so it is actually a little bit scary to kind of think about how um this can this machinery of um like bigotry is going to be uh strengthened over the next year but i i want to talk about this multiculturalism (laughs) has failed comment what what does she what is she on about like because it's actually a comment that a lot of people talk about multicultural culturalism has failed i think they're talking about certain demographics failing to integrate yeah into- so <laughs> their their argument is basically by definition multiculturalism is multiple different cultures living within one society <clears throat> she is arguing or what a lot of people's argument for the failure of multiculturalism is that it doesn't necessarily require integration from different cultures into the values of the quote-unquote original society i'm not gonna lie yeah see in my opinion the british state and what the british state stands for if that's what you lot are trying to get them to integrate into it's a good job they haven't i don't like fish fingers <laughs> fair enough yeah fair <laughs> I mean, nah. <laughs> I mean, I can't relate, but yeah. 
<laughs> I hear it. I hear it. But honestly, like, if- I also another thing, like with multicultural with multiculturalism, yeah. If we had, if we were hosting the next Olympics, yeah, watch the opening and closing ceremonies, be celebrating every culture. It would be the forefront of like why Britain's great because we're so multicultural. Yeah, so why not? It's it? your little agenda. Like it's an it's a bogus claim anyway, in my opinion. Yeah. Like I was literally talking to someone the other day about like, especially somewhere like London, um, and and like the bigger cities, Manchester, Birmingham, whatever. Genuinely, one of my favorite, maybe one of the only redeeming features about this country, in my opinion is the absolute melting pot of cultures you know like if like as as i said especially someone like london if i wanted to go eat at a nepalese restaurant and then i wanted to go to a russian dance class and then i wanted to go to a mandarin language class i could do that all in one day all in one city there's very few places in this world where where you could do something like that and i think it's absolutely something to be celebrated and it's fantastic think, and it's amazing. Do you think it's possible that she personally feels like multiculturalism hasn't worked and integration hasn't happened because she doesn't get invited to nothing? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> probably, yeah. No, nah, to be real though, like, do you nah, think anyone's ever seen Sarah Brothman and said, oh, I just want to come carnival? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's I, the I, remedy. Maybe that's the remedy nah, all nah, along. That's not, that, no, no, that's not what I'm saying, but... I don't know. I just I would be embarrassed bringing someone like that around the mandem. So obviously I'm not going to. Whereas all of you could come, so it'd be fine. So sometimes I just wonder: Do people think, oh, we're not integrated, or different cultures don't mix, or so and so? And it's actually just you. Yeah, I, that would <laughs> because, make a lot of sense. No, genuinely, because when I think about being in Derby, like most of my friends here are like sort of working class white lads who I play football with. They enjoy coming to my house. They enjoy the food. And then when I was younger, I went to music festivals with them. Like, I liked going to see the Arctic Monkeys and, like, drinking Strongbow Dark Fruit and wearing polos and other, like, white person stuff. Like, some of it was fun. Yeah. So I just think maybe maybe multiculturalism exists insofar as you're the kind of person that people actually want to hang out with. And that's why she thinks it's not a thing. But it's actually, like, when you grow up, Sorry, I was gonna say when you grow up participating in it and you're in a place where you feel safe enough to integrate cultures and go around and consume other people's cultures and people come and consume yours, that's that's a kind of saying for one thing, but obviously she didn't have that. So No, but that's the thing, like it's actually a wider comment on <clears throat> and it's a very astute comment actually, on how out of touch politicians generally are with their constituents and with actually the 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 practice of certain policies you know it's the same reason why like um politicians will kind of believe there is no cost of living crisis because they're fine but they're not on the ground seeing how everyday people are living and it's a very similar thing because they they exist in like this elitist bubble and it's the same exact demographic all the way around you know like she's i know there's a lot of talk about her being a south asian woman but she her class protects her from any kind of racial injustice that she might face right so she is very much in those kind of bubbles right and 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 with it rub in those circles and rubbing shoulders with these people so it's not a surprise actually as as the vast majority of politicians that she would be very out of touch with actually what multiculturalism looks like on the ground i mean it's true like if you're still walking to the fishmongers to get your fish the green grocers to get your veg and you're not like at a food bank and you're not in the like in like the middle of it with everyone you're not seeing the melting pot of cultures like you said like in london if you're still 
in the circles that she's most likely being around, yeah. she's not going to know, is she? It's going to look like a failure to her because she's an outsider mm-hmm. to everyone in her circle because of the color of her skin. Whereas we've never had to do that because we've always been around people that look like us, always had a family integration at the very least of like people that look like us and eating the food from our cultures that our mums and grandparents or whatever cooked. We've always had that. Whereas like if you're always I've known, like, I've never been to York. I'm sure there I'd probably stick out like sore thumbs. Do you know what I mean? There's I a lot of places confirm, in the UK yes. where you can't. <laughs> yeah, quite exactly. a nice, quite a nice place. It is there's a, nice, but there's yeah. a lot of places in the UK that I think because we don't frequent there, we don't realise how multicultural it's not. <clears throat> it's true. It's true. Like I think there's also like a oh a big city kind of. Um, part of all of this but i do think i do think like it is i i think the problem is is that politicians are just very elitist and they're just not very yeah. aware of actually what's going on um because not even a big city i'm from i'm from derby and i found her comments confusing yeah yeah and i think you know what like in general there is and we talk about it all the time on this show like there is also another discussion about um suella and her very specific um demographic and um because she is a south asian woman but her parents came to the uk by way of um east africa yeah, i think it's kenya yeah, yeah. she so keenly calls kenya <clears throat> gosh anyways um that's a discussion for another day that's a discussion for another day but um i think there's also because uh, it's the same with sajid javid and it's the same with pretty patel rishi sunak, and yeah. rishi sunak oh, i don't know if it's sajid javid sorry but yeah, pretty patel and rishi, rishi sunak, sunak yeah. like those are kind of there's they are there's this phenomenon and i will call it a phenomenon of um indian um kind of tories right and people from the outside will look at it and look at it as like oh like poc representation specifically south asian representation like oh it's it's um miss it's demystifying this myth of um racism we can't you know this country can't be racist look at how many brown politicians we have but i think it kind of doesn't take into account and especially kind of when she when these politicians come out and make these comments it doesn't you really need to take into account their specific demographic and where they come from um basically the kind of history is that a lot of the in south asians or like indians that ended up in specifically east africa there's kind of two demographics there's one demographic of um south asians that ended up there as indentured servants and then there's another demographic of south asians that ended up in east africa as um basically custodians of um the colonial project basically they were like basically colonial administrators basic exactly so they were kind of like back home in 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 india they were like you know merchants and um they formed the intelligentsia in a lot of instances they were kind of like the middle class that the brits had created to look after the colonial project in india and obviously in the racial hierarchy um the south asians are above black people so then when they needed someone to look after the colonial project in africa and um, it wasn't good enough to let the africans do it themselves they basically put the south asians over there and um had them do the white man's bidding the colonizers bidding essentially so um these people often came from a lot of wealth they came from positions of power and they came from a culture of superiority where they believed they were 
uh, on level with the colonizer because they were doing the colonizers bidding they were looking after the colonizers regime and the colonizers program um, so they really really kind of uh, it's a very interesting self-conceptualization where they wouldn't even see themselves as South Asian as colonial subjects because as Martin said they were more time colonial administrators and I do think a lot of that culture and that mentality has really been brought over here and you can see why and you can see how sorry um now when they're part of the tory party and they're enacting certain policies and they're saying things like multiculturalism has failed um because not all migration is the same guys and not all immigrants are the same mm-hmm. yeah so. i think there's also an argument to be had like i don't think we've even really touched on it because of how ridiculous in our opinion that state that statement was but also is integration really essential for multiculturalism to thrive? This I don't is think exactly it is. my point. These men are, if you're paying taxes, that's it. <laughs> what more could you want from them? No, like, I think uh, I think this still not segregation but this kind of the fact that there isn't total integration actually it's a No, you're good right. You're right. Thing. It's actually a very yeah, it's true. Like what do, what is multiculturalism to you? Like you're saying they, multiculturalism has failed but to who? But people like that wouldn't want sort of multi-integration because they don't like other people's cultures. No, but that's the whole point. That's what, that's, what, that's I think that's what Carlos is saying. It's no, like... but this is this is the thing. It's like you know when I think about football, for example, like football is a very English institution, despite their lack of success in it. So it's, you know, <laughs> on the one hand, you'll say you want people from different cultures to adhere to British values or whatever. Then, when black people play for ink and didn't miss a penalty, you want to call them monkeys and stuff. So, so what are we doing? Yeah, I mean that's that's a that's a conundrum and a paradox. Kind of when, let's say, integration has happened or the um, the ethnic demographic has attempted integration, but I think there's before that there's a question of um, what does integration actually look or, or look like or what is it supposed to look like like who defines what integration like is supposed to look like when David Cameron was trying to get um, these um, Muslim women to they have to learn English or something like that that's what it like, is like yeah. these are thinking like unless you are speaking English in your homes in your like in your personal private spaces unless you're eating bangers and mash every night for dinner um, and going to a pub every like three times a week you are not british you know and it's kind of like what even is it to be british like who defines that you know the same britain that literally had dominion all over um you're still here martin the the same britain that had dominion over a quarter of the world's land that ruled over asia and africa and the caribbean that made colonial subjects of people that had never even touched british soil um what what is Britishness? Because I would say Britishness is fundamentally like yeah. multicultural. You know, even um, before all of the um, colonial stuff, Britain itself was made up of migrants from other like was it Scandinavia? Bro, or, like, like if you're asking us to be British, are we supposed to like be Vikings? Mm. Like, is the I mean, anyway, you know, if the accusations that multiculturalism's failed because people from other countries have come 
to affirm the land, brought our cultures over and refused to respect the traditions of the land. That is the most British thing you could do. Do you get what I'm saying? You hear <laughs> like, me? By definition. You hear me? That's what I'm saying. That and we've so literally true. spoke about it before when we was talking about, there was another instance where Rishi Sunak was talking about illegal humans. Like, and I, and I think I was saying, how can someone be illegal? Were you lot illegal when you were in, mm. in, in South Asia and Caribbean and, and Africa? Like... You weren't illegal then, but mm. I'm not gonna lie, you lot. More time I just scroll when this woman talks, yeah, because yeah, this one particularly like I remember I saw it pop up in the news and I was like, wow, that's that's like a very bold statement to make. Anyway, um, coming to the final ten minutes of the show, um, originally we we're gonna discuss other stuff, but I think I'm gonna stick with the theme of just bad vibes island bad vibesing um a bit more of a lighter one though to finish with um so i um saw on twitter earlier this um week someone i don't know if they themselves are southern and um, but i know they were traveling or aiming to travel by train from london to edinburgh oh my god yeah. i saw numerous yeah. accounts of this so they were trying to go from london to edinburgh which obviously as we've been saying in the state of our trains at the moment was never going to be an easy ride no martin and i actually always complain about this like mm. whenever we're talking we're always so complaining about it. so they um got on the train which i don't know if it was already delayed or whatever they managed to make up to preston and then i think the train had been cancelled or something so everyone had to get off at preston and no what, what happened was the customers on the train the travel the passengers got an email saying your train yeah. is cancelled the driver heard know. it they heard it off the passengers mm. they went and checked then they were like oh actually uh, the train is cancelled yeah. they got everyone off at Preston well, this is the thing right so like obviously I'm sure in your mind you're thinking oh like they had to do rail replacement buses whatever no for these people they paid for taxis but it's hundreds take, of people yeah, like two three hundred yeah, people to take every single person to Edinburgh and the thing Glass is as, uh, yeah as much as this is um a um there's a question here in regards to how environmentally friendly this is and also just in terms of the logistics of it and the fact that why did you not just run the train i don't know but i think there's a question in terms of the person on twitter was complaining about the whole ordeal and saying about how it is and i've since seen people from particularly from the north being like this is standard and this is basically unheard of to just put hundreds of people into taxis and send them on their way um that's not even the worst part so actually on that same train was um a class um who'd been on a school trip and it was um I, I think they i can't remember what year it was i think it was like maybe year seven or something and it was a group of 60 pupils and basically what had happened was they couldn't put them in taxis because obviously there wasn't enough teachers uh, to go in I every single taxi yeah no so that's not even the full story so there wasn't enough teachers to go in each taxi with the students so the the uh, rail company were basically like we don't we, we don't know what to do we, we can't do anything like I, all we can offer is you guys have to wait till the next train which would have been in like 12 hours time basically so what the school did in the end was they sourced their own coach mm -hmm. like they they sourced their own 60 seater coach and got dropped find their found their way back up but it's also but it's things like um 
when we think about inconveniences, we think only about kind of from the perspective of us as lone, tra- able-bodied yeah. travellers. Like there are instances mm. now where it's a group of 60 young, vulnerable kids. It's a safeguarding issues. I'm also thinking about, say, for example, it was a disabled person, a pe- person in a wheelchair. Like... And and they're yeah. by themselves and, and you know, like it's someone that requires like a <clears throat> specific kind of seat. Right, whatever, yeah. right. Um also did each person get their own taxi? No, I think they carpooled. They, they yeah, carpooled. they carpooled. Yeah. But it, it still would have been like say there's oh, like yeah. say there's like four people in each taxi, like yeah. it still would have been like yeah, maybe yeah. nearly a hundred taxis and it's like it's just oh my god this and you know what so martin came to see me in manchester a few weeks ago like two weeks ago and when he got here i asked him oh how was your journey obviously he was like it's terrible we were talking about this situation he said something and and my whenever this conversation comes up i'm always like renationalize the railways and martin was like what public body do you know that works that functions properly for nationalizing the railways to be a good solution like all government um, departments are failing anyway. So even if it was under government control, it wouldn't be a solution. It's true. It's, we're basically, we're done. Well, it's not. But the, Bad vibes island. Yeah. I mean, the question that I wanted to ask as well, though, was I heard and I've seen a lot of northern people talking about this whole debacle with a sense of like, well, yeah, that's the way it is. You've got a taste of what it's like. And I think also as well, <laughs> whenever Londoners bring up problems with their own transport systems, a lot of people from the north are like, well, you've literally got like an underground tube, blah, 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 blah. Why are you complaining? And I've seen it from both sides. Yeah. I've seen people from the north being like, you should be grateful for what you've got and this is what things are like here and i've seen people from the south that have been like literally we're talking about london things why are you why are you bothered so i wanted to know what do you guys think about that like, who's who's really in the right or are people just entitled no to it them? all sucks it all sucks they're just mm. creating internal divides i agree i agree with simran like mm. i think i think um i think londoners shouldn't speak on northern affairs not gonna lie because yeah londoners, i agree I londoners agree are I very they're very in my opinion ignorant they tend to live in a very london bubble yeah. however yeah, yeah they do have an issue kind of as well and and it, it and and it is just it goes without saying that um the kind of provisions and the concessions that a city like london gets is going to be different to anywhere else in the country not just because the the kind of population difference but um well no actually yeah population difference it's a capital city at the end of the day like. it's a population difference i would say i don't think anything deserves something more because it's it's a, a capital but yeah yeah i mean i think that there shouldn't be any sort of like north versus south it should just be everyone versus westminster i yeah. agree <laughs> yeah that's what i mean that's what i mean yeah internal divide I on a t-shirt. yeah no i agree i think like London people should be allowed to complain about their own transport system yeah. when they're going out with it. Northern people shouldn't really be like, oh, well, you should be looking to this. Like, we can ask for better conditions for our trains and whatever without taking it out on Londoners, I suppose. And Go then, speak it, to Mr. Burnham and see what you can do. Well, we've got... Have you seen the B Network buses? I saw one yesterday. Yeah. Like, a, like the new public-owned buses. So, yeah, I think he is doing stuff. I don't know what, but, yeah. Go, Andy. It, yeah. It's only going to help so much because it's not a national rail work. All right, never mind. Don't go, Andy. 
Yeah, I mean, then there's a whole is HS2 gonna happen? H- H- no, whole, if whole, yeah, exactly. It's just like, getting less and less and less. So I swear, swear it's just gonna be. It's like, in my opinion a money laundering scheme. Sorry, sorry. In my opinion, yeah, it, yeah. Uh, Why would we need a money laundering scheme in a country where you can just bareface steal anyway? Though, just courtesy, Martin. <laughs> Oh, well, fair it's like the track and trace app it's just they don't want to insult us too much well, I just feel like we have a monarchy and anyway there's a whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah well thank you um, Martin for joining us today it's been a pleasure as always shall we all say one this, good thing to, to round well, ourselves I off say, I was going to say obviously we've talked about nothing but depressing things in episodes so kind of like the actual content of what we discussed aside this has been a really enjoyable episode to record yeah, I, know. I feel like it's the conversation is very <laughs> riveting yeah, yeah 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 forget the actual content because that's tragic but like the yeah the conversation has been riveting and i've, I've enjoyed it should we talk yeah. about one good thing guys yeah yeah guys james blake james blake i was supposed to see james blake and ali pali didn't go because no one to go with me anyway all I'm going to say is James Blake walks so um, Fred again could run and he's actually one of the most talented artists ever. ever I really like James Blake. I really like him. I think, I actually think he's the most underrated artist ever. Very interesting. That's my piece. I um, listen to his new album. It's sick. I really like him. Um, my happy thing to share is that I'm going to go for Thai food now. It. Nice. nice that's good because you're always complaining Aww. you're hungry yeah I'm starving I haven't eaten today but I'm yeah. going to go for Thai food so that's my happy thing to share alright well, Martin uh, my sister moved back home to Derby yeah, so that's Josephine that's nice. Martin and I Josephine fan club <laughs> yeah Oh my god! Yeah, she's been on the show before actually if you want to go back and listen yeah she has yeah. it was a very interesting yeah. discussion Right, my happy Hello, thing is I'm also going to eat Thai food later. Yeah, um, I'm actually going to Birmingham to see family. So. Oh, what family have you got in Birmingham? Aww. So it's because it, it's classic Asian thing. So it's my dad's cousins, but they're closer in age to us. Oh, yeah. So like, yeah. Oh, but do, uh, yeah. do you know where you're going to go? I went for Thai in Birmingham uh, this week. It's Pad Thai. I don't know. It's that's called Pad Thai. Yeah, that's what it's called. Oh, yeah. cute. Yeah, so go in there. Yeah, so... Nice positive end. Um, And I delib before Halima decided to turn up late, I had positioned a song so that we could talk about it before. And so I'm going to choose to end with it now. Wait, what did you want to talk about it? Because it's actually like a bot. Where has it gone? New Dilja Dessange album. Oh, I love Dilja Dessange. Have you you heard any of the new album? (laughs) I haven't, no. I've not listened to it yet. It's literally like... um, It's amazing. It's club vibes. Oh. Like, I'm the... No, but I'm literally like, oh my gosh. Like, at the the same time, I can't tell if I love it or hate it, but I'm just kind of like, yeah. (laughs) Oh, I love Dilja Dilja Dessange. Yeah, so we're going to end with that, but thank you everyone for tuning in. Next week week is going to be a straight to Spotify episode, but yeah go on spotify for that thanks again martin and yeah we'll see you next week love ya